Welcome to How to Make It an HR Podcast. We invite human resource leaders to talk about their successful experiences and fascinating stories to give us a view into how they built their career. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the first episode number one of the How to Make It an HR Podcast. In this series of the podcast, we're going to be talking to talent acquisition leaders throughout the country, entrepreneurs in talent acquisition, and people who made it in HR. And we will be talking to them to find out, like, how exactly did they make it? What did work and what didn't work? What were the steps that they took that was crucial for their careers so that younger recruiters and talent acquisition leaders, HR specialists would be watching this and inspired to build out their careers in HR and see what's out there, what's possible. So as a first guest of our episode, it's Tanya Burke. So Tanya is a fellow female entrepreneur in talent acquisition. She's a current talent acquisition lead in the Silicon Valley company called Sixth Sense. Her career hired over 2,000 people, consulted multiple small and medium businesses, tech startups, Fortune 100 companies on the hiring strategies, on the sourcing, talent acquisition strategies. And yeah, Tanya, thank you so much for being here. That's great to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. Of course. So Tanya, can we just kick off this thing with you telling us a little bit more about the stories? How did it all start, right? Because you got into talent acquisition more than a decade ago already. Yep. How was your journey like and how did your career brought you to the talent acquisition itself? I was really curious on this. So I graduated college and I was, was working during the day and taking college at night. And I had an executive assistant type of role. And part of that role was to interview people and to place job ads. So I know I'm going to probably be dating myself a little bit age-wise, but at the time, Monster.com just you know recently launched and applying for jobs online was kind of new. You had, you had some stuff online. It wasn't really mainstream. So when you wanted a job, you would open the newspaper and you would, you would look for, for a job ad in the newspaper. So a lot of times I was placing jobs in the newspaper. And then the newspaper had a deal where if you place the job in the newspaper, you would also place it on Monster. Mm-hmm. And so if you wanted a job, you would either go to the office directly and drop off a resume or you would fax a resume. So for people who don't know what a fax machine is, it's a machine where you put a piece of paper in and a copy of that piece of paper goes to the person you're faxing. <laughs> <laughs> so... yeah. That's how it started. And then internet and email came about where you would email your people got more mainstream about emailing applications. And then applicant tracking systems started to come about. But I was an executive assistant for quite some time. And I stuck with that for a little bit up until I had to make a big move in my life. I just graduated with my MBA at the time. And I decided I really wanted to do recruiting. And so I started to apply for jobs that were within human resources. And at the time, the economy wasn't really that great. So it was hard to get entry-level jobs. Mm-hmm. And even experience-level jobs had a lot of applicants. So I ended up taking temporary work as a recruiter mm-hmm. and then slowly built up my career from there. Ended up working in the corporate world for, I want to say, about seven or eight years after that. And then decided to go out on my own in 2016 and open up a consulting firm. And when I opened up, I had so many different opportunities to work with different clients and experience problems that I hadn't experienced before. The pandemic hit. I ended up taking a contract at Amazon for a little bit, for about a year. And after Amazon, I went to um, an autonomous vehicle company 
also on contract. And as that contract was coming to an end, a friend had called me and told me about an opportunity at Sixth Sense. And so I just recently joined Sixth Sense a few weeks ago. That's great. Yeah. How's it going for you so far? I love it. There's a lot of opportunity within within the team, for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Are there any like, exciting, challenging things that you need to solve for the company nowadays? So I work on the product and the UX team. In addition, I'm also looking for a recruiter. So I have the, the opportunity to help grow the team. There's a lot of opportunities for recruiters right now. There's a lot of opportunities in general. We Everybody keeps mentioning a labor shortage. So shortage of people wanting to return to work. I'm kind of noticing that in the market. Absolutely. We also see the word the reopening, you know, companies start to hire people again, which is really, really exciting. And we see it throughout the world pretty much, which is a really good thing. So yeah. By the way, Tanya, we will get to the transformation of the recruiter as a profession like in the recent years, right? But then I also wanted to ask, so once you started to work in talent acquisition, what were the first couple of years for you like? Because You've been, obviously, you've been educated in talent acquisition. You got an MBA in the, in the space. But then what were the most like, important things that you learned from your day-to-day experiences? There's definitely a people management. And I want to say the, the, the challenging part is you have to manage your internal customers, which are your, your hiring managers, and you also have to manage the candidate. And you're a, a medium in between. So sometimes behavior on both sides, it's never predictable. And you have to be able to manage those challenges. Agree. But you also need to like, correctly assess and identify the cultural fit, whether or not this particular candidate would be good for the company, for the team. And then, yeah, yeah a lot of things. Really exciting. Okay. So I would say, look, Tanya, started your first company in 2016, Op Experts. So it's a consulting company, right? Yeah. So talking about myself, I actually started my company in HR technology because of my personal pain being a talent acquisition practitioner. So I wanted to ask, like, what actually brought an idea for you like, to start OPA Experts? And like, what was the challenge and the problem that you were trying to solve for the customers of yours? So for me, it was, it was more of a tale of personal growth. So mm-hmm. I was at a company for a very long time, and I reached a point where I felt like I wasn't going to climb that ladder. Mm-hmm. And, and the opportunity for me was very slim there. I also didn't want to start over anywhere else. And I figured... There was a lot of opportunity within consulting. I have a lot of skills. I have a lot of experience. I could go out and start an agency where I'm helping companies grow. Mm -hmm. What were the most challenging things when you started your first company, by the way, for you that you found as an entrepreneur? So I want to say the market, I had to learn a lot of new skills. So I had to learn marketing. I had to learn the legal aspect of it. There's just so many components to owning a business that they don't tell you about. They don't teach you. They talk about it in MBA school just a little bit, but I think MBA doesn't really prepare you for entrepreneurship. It prepares you for becoming an executive somewhere mm-hmm. more so. There was just a lot of things that I had to, to pick up really quickly and, and a lot of bad advice that I took in the very beginning mm-hmm. that I wish I would have known now to avoid, but I think I've, I've learned so much, you know, tremendous, a lot of things. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Because we learn from our failures and things that didn't work out for sure. But speaking about this, Tanya, out of all of the projects that you've uh, done for the customers of yours, like during the years, right, with the OPA experts as a consulting firm, what was the thing that you are most proud of, I'd say? Was there any like really cool project that you pulled off? I want to say that there's been quite a few of them, but there was one company that I grew from 10 to 40 people. Oh, that's great. 
and they had nothing in place. And so this is this is the tale of every client that I've worked with almost outside of the corporate clients or the mid the mid-size. They usually don't have any HR in place. They don't even know what how to run payroll. And so a lot of times I'm sitting down with with clients who have never hired an employee and don't don't understand all the nuances to it. So every client in the last few years has been pretty much from scratch, building, you know, building something up. And I saw one company grow so large that I knew everyone there. Now I know every face because I, I spoke to them prior to them joining or I sourced them or I found them. So for me, I, I found that to be just like really exciting. It's kind of like giving birth to a child and watching that child graduate high school or college. So that's a beautiful analogy. I love that. <laughs> but talking about this, Tanya, you also mentioned that there's been some things that you've done like before you took some bad advice. Do you mind sharing some like maybe something that you're comfortable with? Okay. Do you mind sharing some of the f- maybe failure stories? Maybe some of the projects that didn't work out or some of the assumption that you build out the strategy around that, you know, didn't work out really. Were there anything like this that you can share? So I want to say that when I first started the company, I focused on contingency hiring. And I don't see that as the wave of the future, even though it is is still very popular and it's still talked about. Mm -hmm. The problem with contingency hiring, and a lot of people don't think of it this way, but the clients don't really see you as a partner. Mm -hmm. They want to avoid, avoid paying the fee because it's expensive. So they go ahead and they, you very, very seldom get something that's just yours. You're the only one working on it. There's 50 or 60 other agencies working on, say, one given role at, at any time. And there were times where I was given a role to work on and I found out that another agency was working on it. And how I found out is when I started calling candidates and started sourcing for candidates. And so what people don't understand is the pool is all the same. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It doesn't make sense to go the contingency route. So. The one thing that I've learned, it's very important to build relationships mm-hmm. as Indeed. a customer and the candidate and to earn trust as best as you can. Absolutely. For sure. Tanya, so now I wanted to ask, so look, you are a technology enthusiast on like programs on the side, as you call yourself, right? So yeah. you are really like passionate about HR technology. You're really savvy in the space. And then obviously the recruiters as a skill set, you know, as a Things that we expect from the person like back 10 years ago and right now are absolutely shifting and changing with the new technology, new technical stack coming in in the play, right? So what I wanted to ask is what were the interesting and really cool HR technology that you've implemented through your companies, maybe in your customers' companies, like really, really cool technology and where you think the HR, like talent position technology in general is evolving into? Because I really have some thoughts on this as well. So I'm going to be totally honest with you. It hasn't changed too much. They've made a few tweaks here and there. They've gone ahead and they've changed colors a little bit or they've changed buttons, but the things really haven't changed too, too much. I want to say the only thing that's really maybe changed is the UI Mm -hmm. and functionalities are very much so the same. And I guess the difference has been in the sourcing tools. So the sourcing tools and the recruitment marketing tools have become more evolved. Mm -hmm. But overall, the technology hasn't seen much of a change. There hasn't been a product that I said, wow, this is going to change the world kind of thing. That doesn't happen in HR. I agree because, you know, majority of the customers, so whenever, let's say, the example is ours, right? Whenever we require a new customer, typically they do have some technical stack in place. But typically it is like legacy, very, very old applicant tracking system that hasn't changed in the last 20 years. 
that's pretty much we inherited from the paper applications, right? When yeah. the application form is like 40 fields long and like really, really mobile and friendly and takes the candidate forever to fill out, you know, just to submit the application, which is crazy. But for the recruiters, they're primarily using this as a, like, you know, system of the records or a database because it cannot really automate nothing for them. They still have to spend an enormous amount of their working hours, like on routine and repetitive tasks. And that's actually exactly what I've been experiencing as a talent practitioner myself when I've been working as a recruiter for nearly a decade in my life as well. So, yeah. And it's hard because in some companies recruiting in HR is one function and it's usually one person that does it. But in other companies, finance is usually the head of it or, you know, you have an HR director that's just not in tune with the world. And I've, I've worked at, at some companies where they're not really in tune with, with what's going to function and they have some very old ideals of trying to, to get things to work. So, you know, getting new tools or getting things done. Uh, yeah, I agree. But also, look, talking about like how the world has changed. So the consumer experience, let's say right now in 2021, is completely different to what it used to be like five years ago even, right? But still, like we are expecting the candidates still to follow the same procedure they've been following for the last 20 years, whenever they're submitting the applications and like whenever they're communicating with the company itself regarding their vacancies, like current job opportunities and everything of that sort, which is really, really a bad thing. And then, you know, in the world of continuous communication, it's really, really hard to like have the candidate submitting the application and getting back to him two to three weeks because you just didn't have the time for them. Imagine if it was paper. So that would be crazy. So about, about eight years ago, I went to interview when I moved again. And I interviewed at a company that was really, really large, and they were still using paper applications. And so I walk into this file room, and she says, okay, here's all the paper applications. And I said, what? So even back when, you know, when we started to implement the, even the bulkier tools, there were still people using paper applications. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it's evolved. I, a few years back, I got a client to put in a Apple iPad into their offices so people could apply. Yeah, that's a good idea, though. We've been working yeah. with like that for like years and years. Yep. Like job kiosks, they say, so that the candidate can just pick themselves the job closest to their home address, let's say, and then apply for a job right there. Yep. Yep. Which is pretty cool. All right, Tanya. So my, my next question for you. So you are also a trainer or a coach, right? And you train leaders on how to hire people effectively. Yep. So how long have you been doing that, the coaching? It came with the territory of consulting. And then I would have, you know, leaders say, well, why don't you talk to my friend who also owns a company? Or, you know, why don't you, why don't you give everybody a class on this and you show everybody how to do this? And so that's how it came about. I have friends that are, are trainers and that's all they do. I do it occasionally. It's not a main thing for me. Got it. But then what are the most important things that you teach, you know, during those training sessions, though? So what are the top, like, let's say three to five things? that you say are crucial for it whenever you're learning how to hire people effectively or how to hire, uh, develop a hiring strategy within your company? A lot of it is etiquette. I want to say like 75% of it is etiquette. And there's an approach to hiring people properly. Mm-hmm. And so I spend a lot of time talking to people about process and um, how to be fair in the process and how to get extract the information you need, to the data you need to make a decision. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, that's important. But then whenever you are consulting the company, like hiring strategy, do you also consult them on the technical stack, let's say, or not? All the time, all the time. And so, 
you know, either they, they don't have a technical stack at all or they have something that's not functioning. Mm-hmm. And deep diving into why it's not functioning. Is it being used properly? Is it set up properly? Mm-hmm. What do you think are most important? So Tanya, you are mo- mostly focused on more, not so much of like blue collar operation type of jobs like mass recruiting. You're more so focused on mid-level, top-level recruiting, right? I would say so. We did have a project not long ago mm-hmm. where we did recruit blue collar and it was it was quite a challenge. You know, we had to call about 200 people a day mm-hmm. and do text messages. And it was in the in the middle of, of all of the mess that was going on in the world. So, oh, my God. Yeah. By the way, talking about the pandemic year. So we just successfully pretty much hopefully back to somewhat normal and, you know, hopefully it will last. Right. But since the world is reopening, what's the most important things, maybe things that you've learned and the or maybe the challenges that you've seen a lot of the customers of yours been facing in terms of the talent acquisition and the strategy and maybe freezes, layoffs, right? During the pandemic year, hasn't been anything that you've noticed special. In the very beginning, there was a lot of layoff. And I think the layoff list, a lot of recruiters band together and created these layoff lists where they would reach out to candidates and try to get people jobs. Mm-hmm. Now we're experiencing something completely different. We have so many more opportunities. I want to say that the jobs that we we lost during the pandemic, we probably got back two times over. Mm-hmm. Because the demand of everything went up. People want to go get back out there. They want to travel. They want to go out to eat. They want to buy new cars. You know, the demand is, I think it's exploded. And I've seen things that I've never seen in my life that, that shocked me. So I went to the beach mm-hmm. and a lot of the stores couldn't find restaurant workers to work at, at the beach. So the waits were long. And then there was a place that's famous that sells French fries. Mm -hmm. That place had a sign that said, we're closed. We can't get any employees. Oh, my God. Yeah. So seasonal workers, there's a lot of challenges to why we can't get seasonal workers. One of them is, and most people don't know this, but there's a lot of people that come on visas for Mm -hmm. seasonal work. And because of the pandemic, we weren't able to get people on visas. Mm. Number two is teenagers aren't really applying for jobs as much as they used to. When I was a kid, it wasn't uncommon to have a job. Like everybody applied for one, everyone got one. It was You worked at the ice cream shop, you worked at the clothing store, you, you worked at the mall, you did something, you babysat, you had a job. Now teenagers aren't working as much. And I want to say that there's a shortage there for, for some of these jobs that, that we're seeing. And then the, the third is, you know, people not really wanting to return back to work. And I've, I've seen that on you know, multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Well, and there's a, there's a lot of reasons for that as well. So childcare is still still an issue. It can be very difficult to get childcare. Yeah, that's interesting times for real. Yep. A lot of people are going to be rehired back. So yeah, I'm really excited about this. And, and people will end up with better jobs than they had before, I want to say. Of course. So. Yep. Tanya, what would be the advice that you would give a recruiter who is just starting their career? Intel acquisition. What would you say the most important things in order to build out the career? I would say get a lot of training. Get as much training as you can. Um, any volunteer opportunity to train, volunteer conferences. See if you can find a very good mentor in the industry. I was really lucky. The person who placed me in my first recruiting job was working with Google. And so that's part of the reason why I was able to get the training that I received. So finding those connections and a mentor and learning as much as you can. Would you say it's important to receive a degree like college, a university degree in talent acquisition or human resources in order to be a good talent acquisition practitioner, or it's not a necessity? 
where you can learn like by going to the conferences, training sessions, and the reading books? So I don't have a degree in talent acquisition. I have a degree in psychology, and then I have an, a, just a general MBA. I'm not seeing it as a requirement, and I'm not seeing too many people with human resources degrees or degrees in recruiting. I don't think that they're, they're well-rounded. So it's not something I recommend. I do recommend you know, getting a well-rounded education because within recruiting, there's a lot of opportunity to move up into other areas. And so the one degree that I always thought would have been helpful that I didn't pursue because it's just too much, I always thought a law degree would be helpful. That's true. Actually, that's very smart. Yeah. That's cool. By the way, I'm a mathematician and software engineer by education, but I've never written a line of code in my life after graduation. So I dived into the talent acquisition, but I've been specialized in technical recruiting. So that's been also a help for that's, me. That's actually extremely common. I know a lot of recruiters that were software engineers in a prior life. That's really cool. Tanya, well, I wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time for coming to this podcast. We're really excited about this first episode. Yeah, thanks a ton. No, thank you. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at How to Make It an HR Podcast and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Check back for new episodes.